Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what <laughs> she's reading with you, just thinking that you're going to love her latest selection. Mm. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book they recommended. That's us. Mm -hmm. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read, I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, inviting magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. You can keep your elves and space operas. Will do. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Mm-hmm. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll see. And we should do a spoiler alert oh, yeah, for this yeah, yeah, one yeah. because it's mystery. And so guess what? We're going to talk about the... It's got moiter. <laughs> it does. And we're going to talk about the end of that. So uh -huh. if you don't want to know who done it, mm -hmm. stop listening now mm -hmm. and read or listen to The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. And when you're done, come on back and mm -hmm. listen to us discuss it. Yes. Yes? Yes. We are always... In for a frolicsome good time on this particular podcast. Wow. That don't, was... don't shake your head. We are amazing podcasters, as evidenced by our in the three-digit listener count. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, you're the counter. I, I know math. <laughs> I know real good maths. And um, we're delightful. So mm, listening to us in general is fine. Sometimes the books are maybe... You know, not as good, less than thrilling, but they <laughs> happened, and we share that experience with the world. Okay, well, let me give a little synopsis of this, a very little synopsis of this, and then I look forward to your crushing critique. No, it's not crushing. It's more like a marshmallow squish. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. that could be good. It's like the sweetness at the bottom of the pie, as it were. Look at how I did that. That wasn't, I didn't even plan that. That just happened naturally. Oh, I'm so happy. Okay, thank you for joining us. I feel like I just succeeded. Okay, back on task. Um, published. This was published in 2009. Yes. It's set in England in 1950. Mm -hmm. And I got to confess something to you. Yes. True Life Confessions, new podcast done. <laughs> of books. I was a little annoyed when I realized that Alan Bradley is Canadian. And that he had never been to England before he wrote this book? Before he got an award for this book. <laughs> that was the I was like, really? Come on. So now his mom is British or was British. Okay. But I still felt like. It's not like that, that was... is a genetic knowledge. Like, okay, I, I was born in Canada. I've grown up in Canada. I've lived all my life in Canada. But in my bones, I know England. I know how I, British people talk. And I can write 400 pages about it. I got this. I'm good. I've watched PBS documentaries. Evidently, you had the same reaction that mm -hmm. I did on that one. You did. Um, so but the, <laughs> the plot of this is that um, Flavia Deleuze is a precocious 11-year-old chemistry whiz. Mm -hmm. And she has a very dysfunctional family. She has um, two sisters who are older than she is, and we find her locked in a closet as the beginning of the book. Yeah. She has a father who is an avid stamp collector, incredibly disengaged with his family. He's very um, uh, broken after having lost his wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they have with them a housekeeper who is delightful. Who I, I kid you not, I called her Miss Mullet in my head. 
Her name is Miss Muffet. No. No, I think it is Mullet. Mullet. It is Mullet. Is it really? Uh-huh. Okay, I went back and forth. So for a while, she was Miss Muffet in my head. Okay. And then that didn't work. And okay. then I was calling her Miss Mullet, like the hairstyle. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I couldn't figure out which one she was. Yeah. Yeah. That she actually was one of those. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good job, Brain. I remember part of that. Yay. Yeah. Um, and then Dogger, who is mm-hmm. this PTSD suffering um, kind Ground- of- Groundskeeper? Groundskeeper, yeah. all-around handyman guy Yeah. Um, who's delightful, but- <clears throat> sort of tragic in his own way, but yeah. relates very well to Flavia. So Flavia discovers a, a dying body dun, in, dun, dun. in their cucumber patch, of all places, Indeed. after she has accidentally overheard her father arguing with somebody. And so then she's afraid that her dad actually murdered this dude. Mm-hmm. And then she decides that it's her job to figure out who really murdered this dude so that she can save her dad. Accurate. And go from there. Okay, I have to go back to how he wrote this book before we really yes, dig into please. it. Because I think it is a hoot and a half. So he uh, was born in like the late 30s in Canada. He lived in Toronto. He was a TV and radio engineer. Uh-huh. He worked for the University of Saskatchewan uh-huh. as their director of TV engineering. Right. And then retired. And his wife was working still. He was just like puttering around. Sure. She heard Louise Penny on the radio <laughs> in 2007 talking about the debut Dagger Awards, mm-hmm. where they're asking like UK affiliated writers to submit the first 15 pages of book to like see what's going to happen. And she like totally wifed him, and she's like, "Remember that other book you wrote? Poke poke poke. I like that character. Poke poke poke. Write about that." And he was like, mm, "Okay, whatever." So then he wrote like a fully fleshed out 15 pages, sent it in. Wait, wait, wait. Fully fleshed out 15 pages. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, instead of like a like a general synopsis, like yes, here's yes. what the mystery is. Right. It was like the first 15 pages of the book. Right. So he wrote that. He sent it in. And then apparently two of the judges called him inadvertently letting him know he had won. <laughs> and we're like, hey, man, um, that was really good. Can we buy your book? Yeah. We want to we publish it. And then this is the crazy part to me is they, they said, we're going to buy 10. Uh-huh. You're going to do a series of 10. Mm-hmm. Is that Stimmel. ever a good idea? A series of 10. They've done 10 now. So it happened. Yes. Yeah. And I, I will confess that I enjoyed the first few. Uh-huh. And I read probably five. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, and done. It's Yeah. This- so he wrote 10 of them. Yes. And I don't know if there's any more after this. But like this first book, he won a bunch of awards he for. Did. For first novel, first um, best fiction book, best mystery book, and there's a bunch. They're all British things. So sure. it's like the Agatha Awards, the Barry Awards, the Dillis Awards, the <laughs> McCavity, like like a Scottish toothache. <laughs> like there's there's all these ones he won for this book, but none of the other ones got awards. So I don't know if it just kind of lost the magic after that. Don't know. But and I thought it was hilarious that that is why he really started. He had written some uh, memoir and like mm-hmm. a nonfiction book, but it was his wife's his wife kindly persistent poking yes he was like okay i'll make it happen yes dear (laughs) my honeydew list (laughs) and then i won an award lots of them (gasps) you won lots of awards oh i wonder what awards i could have steve win good luck have fun okay figure it out you're welcome so the book was fine Mm -hmm. like i christine and i have both worked in public libraries for eons now we are hundreds of years old as dirt at this point Mm -hmm. and the book has, even through different iterations, maintained this kind of really chartreuse-ish, I don't know, it's like a limey green with some yellow mm-hmm. mixed in, Yes, cover. 
Yes. Like it was a hardback and then it was a tiny hardback and I've got a paperback copy. <laughs> it was like a, like a pocket size one. Yeah. And it's always maintained this really bright cover. Uh-huh. And the cover has a picture of a dead snape, looks like a crow, with a postage stamp jammed on its beak, not a nose. And <laughs> and so every time I saw this path through, I was like, what an interesting cover. Right. Like, that's some really good graphic design. Right. I wonder what that's all about. It's very eye-catching. Yeah. But I'm not really a big mystery reader. So right. when you assigned this book, I was like, mom. Take the time. I'll make it happen. But you you did. I had read this previously. Yes, you confessed that and, you had read it. And apparently didn't remember much of it. Okay. So, um, I thought, okay, let's let's do this thing mm-hmm. again. It was fine. <laughs> it was, so this was a book where normally I read it like the last day. Right. I read it, you know, yesterday and this morning. And this one I actually started when I got the hold in because I knew other people were waiting for it. You are such a good Library, library patron. I, I mean, you. it's overdue right now. I'm returning <gasps> it right after this podcast. But um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to get it done and move it back along. Yeah. And I got maybe 80 pages in. And I was like, I'm just going to set this over here <laughs> and I'll come back to it last night. So <laughs> last night I was 80 pages in and, you know, it's 350-ish. And I, you know. You blitzed through. I read it. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I don't know, I just didn't speak to me that much. So she's an interesting character. The main character is Flavia. Yes. uh, Who's this little girl, little chemist lady. And she was kind of interesting, like precocious and um, too smart for her age. Uh And um, family doesn't understand her Mm -hmm. and um, wants to do things on her own because she knows she's smarter than everyone else. And like she can't trust the actual inspectors to figure things out. Inspector Hewitt, who's another character in here, she has to do it because she has the scientific Mm know-how and she's got this fabulous bike that she's named Gladys Uh that she just like totes around the countryside in because it's 1950s and you can do that. Right. And she was an interesting mix of some tropes Mm -hmm. and some kind of original interesting sister prodding like at the beginning of the book you find out that um her sister i think it was ophelia had locked her in this closet Uh and so she was like well i'm gonna inject some poison ivy in your lipstick and just see what happens yes um so like there were parts of it that were funny but i don't know i just i just didn't like it that much okay that's um, fair. And I don't have – there was no one thing where I was like, oh, that was no good or, right. you know, this particular point really turned me off the whole book. It was fine, but it I, I'm not going to read the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. I So I had only read it the one time and mm-hmm. I read it probably <clears throat> two years after it came out. Okay. A year or two. Something. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. around the time it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple more by the time I finished mm-hmm. it. Um. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, I enjoyed it enough sure. to read yeah. a few more. And then it, I definitely was like, oh, okay, he's done as much as I need him to do on this. And yeah. I didn't wasn't interested in the, the you know, future ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I – so I, I was curious what my own reaction was going to be sure, sure, because sure. I hadn't read it in, you know, 10 years or 12 yeah. years. And – I was sort of like you. I was like, okay, it was fine. I think the thing that really – so there were many things I did like about this, and I promise I will get to those too. Mm-hmm. But the thing that was uh, kind of sad, I guess, it was just way too easily wrapped up. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. Okay, so person unknown mm-hmm. dies in your cucumber patch. Sure. She happens to wander out there at the exact moment that he's dying to smell his breath and hear his last words. Sure. She alone can put together all of these little clue pieces as Ballet. she... Ballet. Ballet. 
Yes, the thing that the dying guy whispers as his last breath exits him. She alone can figure out that, oh, these newspaper clippings at the library are going to lead me to this boy's dormitory? Yeah. College? Like Like Eaton, but it was Greyminster. Right. She alone can climb to the top and find something that someone had shoved under a tile 40 years ago. Sure. No, maybe not 40. 25, whatever. Some amount of years ago, like, she alone did these things. And then at the end, the actual murderer finds her, Uh ties her hands together, ties her legs together, puts her in, like, a gross hole under Mm -hmm. someone's house Mm -hmm. where rats are running around. And um, she still manages to get away clean and easy. Like, Mm -hmm. someone followed her. They saved her. They've got the bad guy. Her dad is free. They obviously haven't fixed their dysfunctional family relationship, and that sets you up for future books. It was fine. It was like a – did you read the Janet Ivanovich books? Uh, I tried to, and I was not interested. It's that same type of – it's not a bad thing. It's like each book is insular enough that you can read it and go like, okay, that was interesting. I'm done. Right. right. Or there's just enough little threads that you can pick up things and go like, oh, I remember what happened in the first book. I'm invested enough. Like, I'll keep going with this. Right. It was okay. It was just, mm. I think the part that was the most interesting to me was the family dynamic. Okay. Um, And not just the family dynamic between the Deleuces, but between the maid family at this boys' school, mm-hmm. the kind of the backstory. Mm-hmm. So a huge part of the backstory for this was from her dad. He's right. in jail. Flavia miraculously talks her way into his jail cell. Of course she does. She's, she's the 11-year-old fabulous person. She's precocious. Yes. And she knows chemistry, so she, she can does. do those things. And she's adorable, and people want to mm-hmm. do nice things for her. So she talks her way in there, and her dad just, like, spills the whole story. All the tea comes out. Right. And he's telling her about his time at this boys' academy where he lived there Mm -hmm. and about the friends that he made and then how they were no longer his friends when they outgrew him or he outgrew them, about the headmaster, about um, his teacher, Mr. Twinnings, who ends up, they think, committing suicide, but then you find out later that he was murdered and shoved off the edge of this building. Those were fascinating. I would have liked more, I think, of that Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. because it was so tangled. Mm -hmm. There were so many weird little pieces that you didn't know where it was going to go next. Right. Yeah. I don't know. What was yeah. your favorite part of it? Well, I enjoyed the chemistry stuff. Just the little <laughs> random stuff thrown in about how, you know, she figures out yeah. because based on a smell or she mm-hmm. knew that if you added these two things together, there'd be a small explosion. But after that happened, everything would be good. Like, I thought that was very entertaining. And um, and he, I think it, in later books, he talks about more about how the chemistry lab kind of fell into her possession, how yep. nobody really wanted that part of the house and it's okay. this um it's kind of the same way as Downton Abbey where um you've got this huge house and mm-hmm. it's now this um it, it's oppressive it's too much to maintain they don't okay. have the money for it sure. it's falling apart but they still have this like family you know you're oh, it's kind an of, obligation you thank can't you. Let that it was go. the word i was looking for yes um to to try to maintain it but you with what? Mm-hmm. You don't have any funds. That's how I feel about my yard in general yes. every year. Yes. Every, every year the crabgrass comes back, and every year I make a valiant attempt to cut it back. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Nope. I also like that you assumed that I've watched Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah. yeah. I kind of did because of all of your Britishness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. Okay. I know. I am a poor – it's a Francophile if you like French France. stuff. Anglophile. Anglophile. Yeah, I, I could I could wear that banner, but okay. I guess I'll need to watch that maybe upstairs downstairs as well. Probably, yeah. There's um, some things I'll make you a list. Okay, thank you. I maybe appreciate the queen. it. I haven't watched the Queen yet. There's a 
There's a lot of good TV out there. A lot of stuff. Also good books. Yes. Some based off of TV and some <laughs> the other way around. Um, yeah, there were there were a lot of things in here that were really interesting and fascinating. Like, I loved the language that the three sisters used. Hmm. So, like, Flavia obviously is really invested in science and chemistry. So right. she had little journal entries right. scattered throughout this book about, like, okay, I injected this poison ivy into my sister's lipstick day one. No symptoms. Nothing to report. Day two, why is her skin so glowy still? Shouldn't she have broken out in a rash? Like, it was really funny. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I can't remember if it was Daphne or Ophelia, was really into uh, obscure literature. And so she would sprinkle throughout their conversation these quotes from these books that she was reading. And her other sister was boy crazy. So it was all about Ned in town that she wanted to smooch on. Um, And I liked their conversations. I will admit um, I am not a – hold on. I wrote this word down. Philatelist. 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 It's an awful word. It is. Philatelist. It sounds – I don't know. Not great. Yeah, it's, it's um, not good. Yeah. Someone who collects stamps. Right. Or who appreciates stamps or maybe all of the above. Sure. Uh, not my jam. Right. Is it yours? Nope. No. Okay. When I was a little kid – uh, one of my dad's friends was and mm-hmm. gave us a whole collection. So then I was fascinated with yeah. it for about eight months. <laughs> and then I was done. So I had my I had my go. And I mean, it was it was really intriguing. The idea that it's not like part of their premise was it's not the stamps that have mistakes that are the most valuable or rare. It's the ones that have a small print run. Mm-hmm. And we're like, so the the stamp that they found was this Ulster Ulster Avenger uh, which that's an amazing name that's much better than a full atlist <laughs> so the Ulster Avenger was the stamp that somebody had purposefully printed with an orange background and then the postmasters of the UK had gotten rid of all but two that right. had been snipped off so there's just two of these things left that was fascinating right. like the kind of the narrowing down the scope and the adventure but the actual uh, philosophy behind collecting stamps is just not my particular bailiwick. <laughs> so it lost me a little bit on right, that. Right. Just yeah. Know. I I think I've chalked that up to any like hobby that somebody has where they get super interested in it and they're just like kind of gaga over it. Sure. And that could be anything. It could be you're showing your dog, uh-huh. your you know uh-huh. anything where you can get a little crazy because you're so interested in this. Absolutely. When you you when you find a community of people yes. who are just as interested as you, yes. it's like the one that I actually glommed onto was when they were talking about philatelism. Uh, okay. Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be a deep dive. <laughs> when they were talking about that, in contrast, they were talking about how a neighbor's fr- a neighbor's father or someone in the community practiced netsuke which is the art, the Japanese art of carving ivory. Okay. And it made me think, like, oh, there's so many little niche yeah. things. But if you find even just, like, a little subgroup of two or three or four people, that's that's it. You are yep. down the rabbit hole. You found and your people. Yeah. Like, my hobbies are reading, uh-huh. which is relatively, like, lots of people read. Sure. Gardening, mm-hmm. kind of all there and there. And baking, which, after the pandemic, Everyone does. Like, nobody's gotten away from that. I could not think of a single incredibly niche thing that's in my repertoire. And now I want to go find something. Like, what is my weird, tiny, shrinky thing that nobody else knows about until I force my opinions and love of it on them? I feel like it's there. Give me a give me a day to think about it. Love it. I'm I'll, ready. I'll let you know. So next podcast, yes. that'll be the start the of the reveal. We'll yeah. reveal what the the fun yeah. super time 
adventures we are going to have are. Well, because I feel like making soap is weird enough that that is that is Christine's hobby. Well, it's not even a hobby; it's like a calling. It's a way of life, sister. It is, it is a way of life. You um, and your soap, and then enamel <laughs> is weird too. So I feel like I have my a couple. That's of, artistic. That's a yeah. Well, yeah. But it's chemistry too. <sighs> See how it all it all love it wrapped up. Um, there was so, there was one very bad no good part of this. Yes, and I don't I know, know what if you're going to say. Up on that too. I know what you're going to say. Okay, so this was written in 2007. Yes. He should have known better. Yes. Even though it's set in the 1950s. We don't have to honor all of the bigotries of the 1950s. No, no. And I mean, this scene would have been set in the 20s or the 30s as well. So back back in time at Greyminster Boys Boarding School, they were talking about putting on a magic show. Mm -hmm. One of the acts in the magic show was called The Resurrection of Chang Fu. Yes. And the whole point of this magic trick was for them to, um, like, fake shoot someone, and then they levitate the body, and then the body comes back to life. But the way that they implemented it was through the visage of what they called an ancient Mandarin spiritualist. And boy, they used a lot of inappropriate language and slangs. Yes, yes. they did. Yes. And when I was that was a bad, bad no-no. Re-listening to this, my eyes near about popped out of my head because yeah. I, I did not remember it, and I remember this time reading, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Holy cow! How could I have forgotten this? This is just gratuitous." Um, yeah. You know, racism. It, it's not appropriate. So I was trying to skim back through the book to actually find the pages so I could do a little, like a little trigger warning. Nope. But it's about two thirds in. And so when they start talking about the uh, resurrection of Chang Fu, yeah. maybe just skip like 10 pages because it was very, yeah. very inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. <laughs> he should have known better. And I totally get the idea of making fun of how we were back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. That did not come across. Like, no. I made you read some pretty ridiculous stuff with the Flashman papers. <laughs> yes. But that was satire. And yes. it was making fun of how awful this was colonialism yeah. was. This is just kind of a nod to how we were. Racist. I don't know. Well, racist or, like, people who whitewash that sure. think, yes. like, oh, we were just innocent. No, you were racist. Yeah. That, so, that was, yeah. It was it was no but that was really the only point in there where I was like mm, yeah. no good no good. Yeah, I thought the writing was good. Agreed. Um and I I think he oddly has a a he well, from an American perspective, um he seems to have nailed the British kind of <laughs> way of talking and talking about things. And yes. Mrs. Mullet, like, was a very funny character to me. And yes. um, one of the little uh, bits that I liked was she was – Flavia thinks she's being um, harsh on Mrs. Mullet and says, and by the way, nobody likes your custard pies. And Mrs. Mullet's like, yeah, I, I know. hello, I've known that for years. And Flavia stops in her tracks and says, well, then why do you make them? And she <laughs> says, because your mom – told me that you guys get too big for your britches, and when you do, I should make a custard pie, which my husband loves, yep. and take it home to him just to remind you guys mm-hmm. not to get all full of yourselves. And that charmed me. I Agreed. thought that that was kind of a lovely little, like, yeah, you think you're so smart? Well, yeah. the rest of us know, too. Yeah, we have eyeballs. We notice when you don't eat our pie. <laughs> there, were, there were a lot of really nice supporting characters that I hope, get fleshed out in further books. Like Inspector Hewitt, yes. the, the police yes. detective, he was a very, he seemed to be a very kind and compassionate character 
who was also dedicated to the work he was doing. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see if if someone continues this series, where that goes from there. I also really like Dogger. Yes. And he was the most empathetic character yes. to me. He was a medical professional in the war, the air quote war, right. which is where he met Flavia's father. Right. He had some really severe PTSD, and now he has these episodes where he can't remember things. He doesn't know what action he took. Um, it's really worrisome to him. So he has purposefully put himself in a position where he's um, – he doesn't have as much authority or, or autonomy. He's safe. Yeah, he's safe. He's very much safe. And Flavia, and it seemed lately the rest of the family, treat him with very compassionate kid gloves yeah. because he knows what's happening. He is, he's got full mental capacity all the rest of the time. Right. But that was a very sweet gesture, and I thought that really pulled together some of the family dynamic to contrast the dysfunction of the actual Deleuze family. I totally agreed, yeah. and, and for – People who may be inclined to read the rest of these, mm -hmm. um, both of those relationships, well, Flavia's relationships with both of those men are fleshed out in future stuff. Awesome. And, and they're very well done, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The the thing that I think is not great is that um, I don't think her relationship with her dad changes at all. Mm, and you would think after all of this that yeah. he would – it would – kind of kick him in the pants yeah. to get She's, back into life. She saved his butt. Yep. Got him out of jail, cleared his name. She even at one point tried to convince the inspector that she had murdered the guy <laughs> right, in the cucumber right. patch so that her dad could let, get let go. Right. And her dad had confessed so that Dogger wouldn't get right. pinned for the crime. Right. So they're all doing it for good reasons, right. but they just don't. It's it's that stiff, stiff upper lip yes. British, British stuff. Like, well, we don't talk about that. We just sit quietly in our separate chemistry and... Philatelist. Philatelist Studios. <laughs> well okay. done. Okay. On that note. Yes. Whoosh. Uh, do you want to know what terror I'll be inflicting upon you next month? Yes. <laughs> I actually, I, as with most of my books, I hope you really enjoy this one. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it very much. Okay. So the author of this is Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Mm -hmm. um, you may have read Mexican Gothic that she wrote that came out 2017 or 18. Fabulous book. Okay. That's not the one we're reading. We are reading Gods of Jade and Shadow. Gods of Jade and Shadow. You can't see me, but I'm squishing my cheeks right now. I'm so excited about it because they're – okay, I'm just going to throw out some words so that you have context. Okay? Hmm. Set in the Jazz Age, 1920s. Mm, hate it already. In Mexico. Okay. Where a young Cassiopeia toon who is like a servant in her grandfather's house – accidentally, air quotes, opens a trunk at the base of her grandfather's bed, finds a skeleton, freaks out because there's a skeleton in the sure. trunk, and awakens the Mayan god of the dead who has been trapped by her grandfather for the past 40-some years, hmm. and then goes on this journey with him to try and reclaim his throne in the Mayan underworld from his brother who uh, put him up to this. I'm wondering what about this you think so I'm going to like. Um the folklore aspect of it is just okay. really interesting. So okay. it's based in both um, traditional Mexican folklore and Mayan folklore. Okay. And I think you're really going to like the main character. Okay. Yeah, she's a she's a hoot. I hope you like her. <laughs> I'm, I am looking forward to rereading it. So Excellent. And I didn't read it that long ago, so 
So it's not a 12 it, years have passed. It's We're not, not a, sure if you're going to like it's it. It's not a blur. It's, it's still mostly in there, yes. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please join us next month when we will be discussing Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Thank you so much and keep on reading.